0: Hello and welcome to the hello darkness podcast. I am your host, Esther Adelkoff. In this week's episode, I interview Maishi Hanan. is a IFC certified life coach. It is a vulnerable conversation about acceptance, addiction and recovery. Without any further ado, I present this week's episode. Hello acceptance. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And I wanted to start off by asking you to tell me a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and the work that you do in the field of recovery and addiction.
1: Okay, sure. Yeah, thank you, Esther, for inviting me. This is a very meaningful work, and this is a meaningful conversation to me. So I'm happy to be here. it's funny, like when people ask me, who am I? Because of so much work that I've been doing and work that I'm currently doing. Oh, who am I? You know, and I don't, kind of, I don't just answer that question. But ultimately, I know what your question is that you're asking. <laughs> My name is Masha Khanen and I grew up in Crown Heights. I'm 35 years old and uh, I have a wife and four kids. Thank God, healthy, happy kids. and. Um, I currently am involved in an organization called Nishamas where we try to empower our community to have what it takes to keep people alive longer and not let people get left untreated with mental illness. So, the means of how we try to do it the most is through education. Education, education, education. Uh, so, I'm part of Nishamas. I'm also um, Part of Aliyah Boys, where mm-hmm. we have groups for uh, teenagers, and its a support group is really, really powerful. And I have a private practice where I do coaching, mostly around areas of addiction, but I'm open to also some business coaching, but it's ultimately an internal look at what I'm doing and work from there. So that's the coaching that I do.
0: So, what would you say your coaching style is?
1: My coaching style. Has always been developing, but right now it's currently um, having a conversation, getting to the root of it very quickly, and then challenging the root of it. Because if everything is based on how my perception and how I look at things, and how I look at things is going to affect how I feel, and how I feel is going to affect what I do. So if I want to change my behavior or if I want to change how I feel, I have to go back to the root of it. And it's ba- usually based on the belief based and the belief is usually based on an experience. Yeah. Right. So that's really deep. Yeah. Yeah. So I very quickly, I don't necessarily go into the details of the experience, but I do go into the belief and I challenge the belief and s- see the belief from a clear perspective and allow the, to see from there and then work from there and build something up.
0: So just for an example, how would that work in, in terms of addiction?
1: So the first thing, let's say somebody comes in and says, um, I don't even want to be here mm. because uh, I'm here only because my wife basically forced me to be here. Okay, great. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk. What's going on? You know, and try to be as compassionate and inviting as possible. Um, maybe share some of my own experience, hey, just so you know, I was there, type of thing. Share a little bit.
0: I think that's a big difference between therapy and coaching, the self-disclosure. Yeah. And I wanna hear how you navigate that because I find personally in my practice it's very impactful when I self-disclose. It's always weighing a million factors. I feel like it's high risk, high gain to self-disclose. So I'm so curious how that works for you how you decide when and if to self-disclose.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think if I were to dis- to decide in the moment, it would be one thing, but a lot of it has to do with before the session even starts. Mm. But um, if it was in the moment and I were to check and be like conscious about what I'm doing, it would be, why am I saying this? Is it to try to, out of fear, to try to gain trust that I think mm-hmm. I don't have? Or is it out of faith that, you know, I know that this is exactly what this person needs to hear, and this is who I need to be, who I need to be right here an expression of it.
0: Seems like the check is, is it for the client or is it for my own fear? Yes,
1: 100%. Yeah. yeah. And the same thing is like what I do before, but it's much better if I do it before the session. Mm. Who do I need to be for this person? And not from the sense of like, oh, I need to be a chameleon and, 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 and put myself down so that I can be something else. But more of like, this person's hiring me and I have all the tools in my box. What does this person mean? And if God put him here with me, then God believes that I have the power to give him whatever it is that I have. Mm-hmm. And I try to deliver that.
0: Yeah, I think having a belief in God as a therapist and also in your practice is so powerful. I don't only work with this community, I work with a broad range of people, and I I find that when I can ask someone who has a belief of God, like, where does God fit into all this? It shifts everything, and I think that's also a big part of the AA recovery language. I don't know where you stand with that, but having that surrender to a higher power is one of the most important resilience factors in phase of personal pain.
1: Yeah. 100%. And and I could speak to if you'd like to. I'm happy to speak to the person who doesn't believe in God. Mm. And and the, the main thing is to just as somebody I know well says, to just know that it's not me. Right? Yeah. Right. So if it's not me, then that means there's a lot of it that a lot that I can let go of.
0: I don't have to control everything. If I choose to. Yeah. It's
1: obviously a very difficult thing because I could identify, I could have been going for years identifying as a person who cannot be in this world without needing to control things. I cannot be in this world with letting go because what's going to happen to me? I'm going to turn into the hole of a donut and everything that I've been identifying as I'm throwing away. So what's going to happen to me?
0: I'm curious what your understanding of the link between that need to control and addiction is cuz they really show up in pairs.
1: Yeah. So, I can say from the most like important and and still like not go too deep like to, so it can be very palatable to somebody listening is that there's a search for being this certain okayness, right? And being in a state of not having that and knowing that I I need to feel that way. the the way of
0: being human.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. So some people, it translates into like a sense of insecurity and oh I need the okayness is like secure oh I'm taken care of which if you want to go therapeutic we can go all down there Um, Shimon Russell has a great thing that we did with Neshamas where he talked about a parent's position to be delivering for most important things are safety safe safe secure seen and soothed Mm. I encourage people to look that up but if somebody doesn't feel secure and doesn't feel okay there's there's going to be a search for it and most people go towards control. Because if I control and I know or if I have a handle on it, then I'll be okay. Like if just tell me what the roller coaster looks like before I get on it. Yeah. And if I know what I'm getting into, that's a sense of security, then I'll go into it. And what happens is is that when people don't can't dig their nails into something and they just keep slipping and slipping, it's a very scary and painful yeah. feeling to to um, experience so drugs alcohol or any type of self-soothing gives them that sense of like okay i'm gonna be okay or the noise inside my head that's telling me i'm not okay is just gonna put put on mute for a little while
0: yeah i think it's so important to approach our own addictions our own pain and also other people's pain with this sense of compassion that you're really bringing, like, mm-hmm. where is this coming from? How is this helping you? What problem are you seeking to fix with this? Yeah. You, we don't do things that don't work for us. Everything works for us on some level. Yes, the coping skill might be maladaptive at this point, but it's an attempt to cope.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, a lot of us who acknowledge addiction in our lives first just say okay I'm doing something and I don't want to be doing it and my mission is to just stop just stop and if I only just stopped then my life will be okay and I remember believing like even before I saw it as an addiction I just knew that oh I didn't identify. okay so I'm I'm an addict to recovery so thank God for like uh, over seven and a half years I've been in recovery and still in recovery it's incredible still, still plenty to work on but the point is, is that I knew that while I was getting high, I could be better. Even marijuana is not addictive, fine. But if I stopped, I'd be much more effective human being and be accomplishing so much more. So, yeah, there was a a recognition. This is not what I want for myself. I want to be okay, but I don't want to live like this forever.
0: I think at some point there's a shift. Like first you have like the blissful, like, you're getting drunk, you're getting high, and you're not examining it, and the second that you start examining, I don't want to be doing this, and you're still doing it anyways, there is so much pain, you no longer enjoy it. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, I want to cut down. Who wants to drink and be so conscious of just having two drinks? Yes. You're taking away the whole enjoyment, you're bargaining at that phase, and it's a really painful place to be in. Yeah,
1: I love how you use the word bargaining, because a lot of it is like the process of grief, right the shock oh my gosh look what's happening to me and then the bargaining and then there's the denial right you lose a dear
0: friend when you stop engaging in your addiction it's something that's always been there for you
1: yeah almost more more than a friend it's like a nurturing from like a mother type of thing yeah it's a soothing soothing it's self-soothing and when we look at it like on the outside we see like oh, what's an alcoholic, a person who's drinking out of a paper bag, uh, a can of beer under a bridge. No, it's,
0: it's that cognitive dissonance, though. I'm never going to be that person. I'm yeah. doing it surrounded with friends.
1: Yeah. What, what I'm saying is, is that when we have this picture, the stigma, which were the purpose of what we're doing here, the stigma of like it's dirty, it's ugly, it's nasty, it's a beast. But the 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 polar opposite is the experience of the addict, which is like, but I need it. It's it's soothing me. Yeah. Like, I need it. I need it. I can't live without it. In those darkest moments, or in the highest moments, but I can't handle them. You know. So, I think what I was getting at earlier was. We I also thought what you were saying earlier. So when people come into my office, it's usually when those polar parts of them are showing up. I need it, but I can't stop. You know, and that's like they call the bottom, right?
0: They're sitting with that impossible dichotomy. I can't live with it and I can't live without it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So if I could go back to what I was saying earlier about like somebody who doesn't believe in God, Mm. what I tried to bring forth is this concept of acknowledgement. As soon as there's an acknowledgement, like stopping and noticing and acknowledging. I'm acknowledging that there's a part of me that wants to continue and doesn't believe they can live without it, and is in a state of fear. And I have another part that's also kind of in a state of fear and doesn't want to. Right? So the first thing I try to bring forth is the fact that there is a me that is acknowledging both of them. Yeah. And that's what I like to refer as the power greater than myself. But it's not really a power greater than myself, it's a power greater than my addiction. It's, it's your
0: metacognition, power. your ability to think about your thinking.
1: Yes, yeah. And try to bring forth and try to practice that. And the more I see it and practice it and notice it, I'm accessing a power greater than myself. It so takes we, a
0: real mindfulness, though. Mindfulness
1: so, is the basis, yeah. meaning stopping and noticing.
0: Yeah, like, what am I thinking? How am I feeling?
1: Yeah and in that there's many levels right so mm-hmm. there's okay what are my, my five senses right what am i hearing thing and then okay so there's me that's noticing that I'm thinking and then there's another part of me that's saying like hey dude what what are you doing why why are you just sitting there thinking oh you're thinking about thinking and then th- and then everyone like I, I don't know if you recently saw i just posted on on instagram the, the concept of seeing a thought Seeing the response to it, seeing the response to that, the deeper and deeper, and just welcoming everything in, mm. because I'm the host, I'll welcome everybody in.
0: I love that analogy. Yeah,
1: I mean, this is a, I think it's a poem written by uh, Rumi.
0: Yeah, I. The, the guest house. Yeah, I took a meditation class once and they, that analogy has spoken with me, like I can be a gracious host, but I also have to have boundaries as a host, you're not letting everyone sleep in your bed, that's mm-hmm. not what it means to host. Mm-hmm. You welcome them, they're here for the time that they're here, and you let them go.
1: Yeah, 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 and half of the pain goes away just by welcoming them in. Because one part will be, let's say, anxiousness, right, I'm feeling so anxious why am I feeling anxious? I don't want to feel anxious, I have something to do. You know, so another part is saying, I have to get something done, so there's more anxiousness. And then Mm -hmm. there's like, a judging part, which is like, I can't feel, you know, I'm I'm such a good guy, why am I so stuck? You know? And they're just like, each one that comes in, and they piling up on top of each other, you're welcome too. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the rabbi, right? So a man and wife comes in, and the the wife says, he's wrong, right? And the husband says, and she's wrong. And so when the, when the wife says things wrong, you're right. Husband said, you're right too. But how can we both be right? You're right too. You know, so just welcome them all in. Yeah. And that only is a platform. That's only a platform of accessing a power that's greater than my addiction or greater than me. Right? So it could be God from my fathers. It could be the God. But the fact is, it's not going to be the one I've been identifying until today.
0: Mm.
1: And I've been identifying as an addict who's hopeless and cannot live, but that's only one part of it. It's only one part of me. So it's a lot of parts work, which yeah. is the therapy that I'm doing, which is also a training that I'm doing in coaching.
0: Is this like internal family systems? Yeah.
1: Did I say that? No. I'm, that?
0: I'm just when you say part work, that's what pops into my head. It's yeah. It's fascinating, fascinating work. Yeah. Identifying your internal firefighter who's coming to. Save everything all the time and in constantly in crisis mode, identifying the part of you that your younger self, how old do you feel in this moment?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's like the exile firefighter. Yeah. But oh, yeah, so what I see as a common denominator in between this therapy and the 12 steps and Judaism and and all this stuff is this concept of there is an access to power within me that, or some people could say it's without, the fact is I have access to it. And mm-hmm. where do I have access to it? In my mind, in my actions, the fact is it's within me. And, um, and if I tap into it and I use that power, I can live a good, meaningful life without the need to ever drink, use, act out, whatever.
0: Yeah, I think, Although that sounds so attractive to so many people, it also sounds so daunting Mm. to never drink again and to identify as an addict in recovery Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life to say, I'm an alcoholic, there's such a stigma, it also feels so big. I'm curious what you would say like the first smallest step to take if all that feels so overwhelming but you're really struggling.
1: Yeah, I think um, the key word which I would encourage people to look up this thing, even if you don't think you have any addiction in your life, it is one of the most powerful sentences I've ever read and I've used it thousands of times. It's um, a sentence in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous towards the back, page 417. Mm. (laughs) You can look it up online, I'm sure there are tons of these posters that are, acceptance is the answer, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'll just say it and I wanna see what it feels like if you, just join me, right? Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today.
0: Acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. So,
1: when I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life, unacceptable to me. And unless I find that person, place, thing, or situation, as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment, uh, I need to accept nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I can accept my alcoholism, I cannot say sober. Unless I accept life completely in life's terms, I cannot be happy. And mm. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as in what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. So,
0: it's if, incredible.
1: Yeah. And oh man, I've used this thousands of times. Yeah. But the point is acceptance.
0: It's the paradoxical theory of change. Only once we accept something can it finally change. Yeah. yeah. And I think. People come to this concept kicking and screaming. I refuse to accept this part of myself. I yeah. hate this part of myself. This part of myself is ruining my life. Yeah. How do you work through that?
1: Accept that too. That it's part of you that is not finding it acceptable. It's turtles
0: all the way down. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. We can go all day like this. Yeah. But ultimately acceptance is always going to be a power that I have if I let myself do it. And in every acceptance, there's a surrender of the way it should be, meaning accepting the part that's telling me it should be. Mm. I know it sounds a little deep, but it's, it's, it's simply, if somebody's new, it's like, can I accept the fact that I'm an alcoholic? And you don't do anything about it, not necessarily. Just first accept it. Can I accept myself as a human being with flaws and problems?
0: I want to slow it down for a second and really break down what do, you, what do you mean when you say acceptance and what do you mean when you say alcoholic? Because oh, these are yeah, words okay. that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So let's start with acceptance. What does acceptance mean to you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Yes. If I was sitting there, what would I see? If I could be inside your brain, what would I hear?
1: Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> I like the way you just asked mm-hmm. that. Um, lack of acceptance is tension. Tension is created when there are two opposite things. that are pulling in two different directions, right? So I should be there, but I'm not there. I should be clean, but I'm not clean. I should be something, whatever. Should, could, would, could have, Shitting should yourself. have, <laughs> shoulding, um, tension, fear, future, past, you know, tension between now and the past, regret. These are all ideas of tension. And accepting is is deciding to if i if I were to have an image, it would be pulling a rope in between now and the future or pulling a rope between now and the past or n- now what is and what should be, and kind of just releasing my hands mm-hmm. and letting go letting go letting go um, the process of how I do it is sometimes it's just like challenging myself and asking myself a pretty challenging question is like how's it working out for me right now this tension like it's just so unpleasant i don't want to feel this way yeah you know i don't want to continue feeling this way so am i able to just stop and like notice i was thinking of just saying something but maybe we will go into it later but yeah, that's that's the process of acceptance. Acknowledging what what's happening, and then saying, okay, this is just what it is right now. And for me, it's a little bit of self-talk, which is, okay, if I'm here, it must be that there's a reason why I'm here. Yeah. And then try to find some reason. But ultimately, even if there wasn't a reason right here, sometimes what the, the reason is
0: to work through it, to learn I'm, how to work I'm through here. it. The
1: fact is, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And if I continue to not accept it, like, what's the opposite of acceptance? I'm just going to have a miserable day. Mm. and I don't want to have a miserable day, so I'm going to decide to accept it. Right? So the acceptance is letting go of that tension. And all of a sudden, there's a sense of clarity. The, the, the dust gets settled, and I can see things clearly, and I can have a different day, different hour, different week, different life. Right? So the first thing is just acceptance. You know? I can't accept I can't accept can you accept that you're not okay with being accept, accepting and um, at a certain point it may be too much and you move on and then can you accept yourself as somebody who just tried something and it didn't work yeah. Yeah.
0: I I'm getting an image as you're saying this like such a kind compassionate parent to ourselves it's really self parenting like yeah okay And that's okay, and that's okay, and that's okay. Yeah,
1: yeah. And what that does is basically takes all the obstacles out of the road, and a choice is being able to be made. Now, finally, I could choose where I want to go. Because I can't accept, I can't choose unless there's acceptance first. Tell me more. Okay. If I have a part of me that's pulling me, let me just try to think. If I have two, two students, I'm a teacher, right, and one is saying, "I want me to reset, and the other one said, no, but it's so interesting, I want to learn. If I'm going to tell them both, you're both not getting what you want, what are they going to do? They're going to keep fighting and screaming and shit, right? But what if I stop and I say, okay, guys, you both have something you want to do. I want to hear you out. What do you have to say? No, 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 I want to go first okay do you mind if he goes first let's just hear one out at a time okay we hear them out just stopping to listen to them is accepting the fact okay this is this is my reality i have two kids i could try to ignore them but the more i ignore them the more tension there's going to be because they have a need and they're trying to get it out and especially if it's like inner child thing and it's but I've been sitting here for so many years. I, I, I need to be heard. Yeah. Right? Don't go there. It's so dangerous. Firefighter, right? Mm.
0: Yeah, I think acknowledging that we need to be heard and we need to listen to ourselves yeah. is pretty radical for most people. Yeah. No, you need to listen to these feelings. These yeah. feelings are telling you something.
1: Yeah. So the first thing I think is, I think there's a, there are steps and levels. And I think the first one is to just stop and acknowledge that they're there and accept that they're there. Eventually you'll get to the place where you can actually listen to them and hear what they're trying trying to tell you. And I saw something really beautiful from Simon Jacobson, Simon Jacobson from the Meaningful Life Center. And he has a podcast. And one of them was in reference to actually the last, um, Parsha, which is the chapter the portion, uh, the weekly portion of the Bible. I'm not sure who <laughs> that was <is out>. <laughs> about right. <laughs> okay. um, that we, we learn and read throughout the year. So it's all split up. And this last ye- last week, it was talking about the story of Bilam, who was riding a donkey, and the donkey was able to see an angel. He was going he was going to go curse the Jewish people and the donkey was able to see an angel holding a sword and he wasn't able to see it and he told him to and uh, he kept whipping it and doing all these different things to try to get his donkey and the donkey wouldn't move until eventually his donkey i think pushed him against the wall and he hurt mm-hmm. his foot and then he started like why are you doing this and then eventually um the angel allowed himself to be seen by Mila, and then he finally understood what he was trying to say why am i saying this <laughs> Um, in Chassidus it teaches us that when we talk about anything, the word chamar is most chomeris, which is physicality, so in Chassidus it also talks about how the when we see there's a, a, a commandment that when you see the donkey of your enemy is fallen down, you should go and help lift him up mm-hmm. so we see that Oh, and and when it's talking about the donkey of your enemy, it's talking about everything in the outer leader, the outer chumrias, which is like the body as opposed to the soul, right? So if there's a part of me that is the physical part, the addiction, the aggressive, right? Part of me that is telling me something, and I need that part, because that's, that's the part. I need these parts of me, because they're the things that get me around in life, just like the donkey, right? It's passion, right? The source of passion. Mm-hmm. So, I need to listen. If my body is telling me something, it's very likely that it can tell me something that I don't see.
0: It's picking up on something that your mind... You're intellectualizing, you're yeah. not in your feelings, you're not? Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. such so a powerful lesson. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's basically what I wanted to get to, is the concept of, I don't necessarily like, uh, I used to hate myself. I looked in the mirror and I hated myself. The last time I looked in the mirror, I, I smashed oh. my head against the glass. Oh. It's still broken at home. I left it. I really hated myself and what I I would say is like if you hated me as much as I hated me, you'd want to kill me too. But who did I hate? And who was the one that was hating? Right? I just could not accept myself. I was unacceptable. But who was I? Mm -hmm. I was just a part of me. That was there trying to get my attention and telling me I'm thirsty for more spirituality. I'm I'm not sure like what it was that I'm still working on that. But by me shutting down that part, ends up in death. Yeah. I can't be shutting that stuff down. I have to be accepting it and listening to it. And look what it brought me to. It brought me to the point that I could have a, a beautiful, meaningful conversation with you. Yeah. Which I'm grateful for.
0: Yeah, I think when we look that deeply in ourselves and our souls and we feel that whole... And we like see all the things that we're trying to do to fill our hole that aren't working. It's one of the most painful moments. And a lot of times we think we want to kill ourselves in those moments, but really we want to kill the pain. Yeah. It's such a powerful question. Do you want to kill yourself or do you want to kill the pain? Yeah. If yeah. I told you we could kill the pain together, would you show up every week for therapy or coaching?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And creating the possibility of that there's life without this pain. You can, the, I can't fill your hole. No one can fill your hole. But you won't be living from a place of trying to fill the hole all the time.
1: Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a place that you get to. I think where I'm kind of at now is realizing that only a part of me is convinced that there's a hole that I need to fill. Yeah. And maybe I could fill it. And I could fill it from within me, too. Yeah. The answers are within me, too.
0: The, o- the answer is always within that's the hardest thing because we live in a commercial culture where we think in order to do self-care we need to go get a manicure and in order to feel masculine you need to buy Axe, and in order to feel feminine you need to shop at this store. We're looking for meaning and identity by buying things and the second you have it it's depreciating value, you habituate, there's a hedonic adaptation and you can go through your whole life waiting for the next meal, the next relationship, waiting till you get married, waiting till you have kids, waiting till your kids go out of the house and still be chasing the dragon whether it's through alcohol or through materialism you can go through your whole life thirsty hungry and pausing and saying the answers within it's not easy the answer is very simple but it is in no way easy and i have to endeavor and work towards that every single day of my life to fill my own hole to show up for myself
1: yeah and i think i agree 100 percent and the um it's really like searching for something to fill myself inside with something that's outside but it's never going to work and um the thing that we sacrifice the most and is the hardest what makes it hard really really is just the belief that i'm going to find it that the only Mm -hmm. place i can find it is outside am i willing just for today to surrender this belief and also acknowledge that The belief is just a belief. It's not all of me. Mm -hmm. I'm able to believe one thing and I'm able to believe other things, you know?
0: I want to focus on what you said just for today, because I know that's AA language and it's so (laughs) powerful. Yeah. The rest of your life, I have no idea what happens. Like, I think Corona has been like a real lesson in this, that we have no idea what the future holds and Mm -hmm. we can stop trying to figure it out, Mm -hmm. just for today, one day at a time. What's the next right step you can take?
1: Yeah, so what that brings, if I go to the depths of that, it's the power to choose, right? Tell me more. I can't choose now for the future. Like, how, I can choose, Holy, right now. And when the next moment comes, I can choose, and the next moment comes, I can choose, right? And we think. um, Going back to that sense of security, right? I'm almost losing my own train of thought. (laughs) <laughs> it just left the station mm-hmm. um, I think I lost it I'm okay with it but I could just tell you what's on my mind now I'd be curious to hear <laughs> I'm it's funny um, this, this whole chase right and, and this concept of oh you talked about the future right I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Addiction is also all about, like, in my mind, or a part of me is going to tell me that I have to take on this big goal. I have to stop everything forever. And then as mm-hmm. soon as I do that, and this is just a very common thing, as soon as I do that, I come to the conclusion that it's impossible, and that's why I'm not going to do it now. I have to keep it into today. And even within today, I have to keep it in the moment now. And there is, there is that like another, another sense of, um, of surrender again and again when I'm not sure. I actually feel right now that I'm like totally going off course and I'm feeling very self-conscious. But here, I'm actually going to accept, I'm going to practice acceptance right now. You know, this is just what it is. I'm here sitting with you, we're talking, and I lose my train of thought.
0: It's been known to happen. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm, I'm going to be okay with it. So, earlier you asked about what is addiction and yeah, what is acceptance
0: I want to jump in you to define what alcoholism is because I think we as you said before we all have that picture of someone on the street with a brown paper bag and we think that can never be me I definitely don't have a problem with drinking we think oh they're the responsible drinkers and then there's the alcoholics Yeah. and I think we need to destigmatize it and also be willing to ask ourselves, what's my relationship with alcohol? What's my relationship with substances? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to cross the line?
1: Yeah, okay. So a couple of things come to mind and it's funny in, in in recovery it's a common concept where people talk about The day I turned from a cucumber to a pickle, right? And once we're a pickle, we can't go back, right? Mm -hmm. When did it become an addiction, right? And I think that's not so much of an important question to ask. It's a question to ask. Maybe we could do some research and go into our history and figure out when it happened. When was I doing it? And this is, the pickle is when I'm using it to self-soothe. Yeah. And how do I know if I'm using it to self-soothe? Is what happens when I try to stop.
0: I think when what you're in the place up. of this like AA language, but like one is too much and a thousand is never enough. When you're in that space of, it's just never enough.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that's that's already farther in this mm-hmm. in the in the process. That's already when somebody's like literally mm-hmm. in the place of like enough pain to add, to start asking these questions. Like, is a thousand. Enough? But, like, if somebody's just listening to this and just ask yourself, is there a behavior or a substance or anything that I do that I use to self-soothe? And if it's not healthy or if it's something that I don't want to do, what happens when I try to stop? What bubbles up? And if... Usually it's three things. If restlessness, irritability discontentness are those things that are bubbling up chances are you're using it to self-soothe and i want you to know that there's another way to live Mm -hmm. and you could self-soothe literally from the depths of yourself or call it a higher power or whatever you want and it's it's really accessible millions of people are doing it today they're staying anonymous but it exists
0: do you think there's any... I know this is a very controversial question, but it's something I think about a lot. Do you think there's any safe way to engage with alcohol?
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Just why Why are you doing it? You know, are you doing it to self-soothe, to self-medicate? Then there's other medications. And maybe there could come a day where you could have a drink. I don't know. I know for me, like, it's not healthy for me to think that way. Um... And even if I do, I just decide that it's not going to be today. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think there's nothing wrong with alcohol, there's nothing wrong with oxycontin, mm. and there's nothing wrong with all these things. It's just supposed to be a very temporary thing. Because every medicine has a side effect. Every medicine. And the longer we do it, the more we're going to build up the side effect.
0: Yeah. I think alcohol is highly addictive, very accessible, very normalized, and I think it's like no one's like, oh I had a rough day, when people say I had a rough day so I had a glass of wine, no one's like, but I think our unhealthy relationship with alcohol as a culture, as a society is also very normalized. That's why I'm asking if there's any healthy way to engage with it. And I think a lot of people, if they had to ask themselves, what if I would tell you you would never have a drink again? I would pay you $30,000 and you would never have a drink again. People would genuinely weigh, like, am I willing to give that up because Mm -hmm. of the association with fun times, social events? And I think at that point, if you're genuinely questioning, am I willing to give it up for $30,000 or even less or even more, you have to do some internal searching what is what hold does drinking fill in my life where do I need it I feel like I can't socialize without it I feel like I, I'm not going to be creative without it I feel like I'm not going to have fun at parties without it and like really take some time to question that
1: yeah I mean that's definitely something that people could do but most people don't do that because it's not a problem Yeah. so if it's not a problem then just do it just what like any think? other behavior it's not just alcohol, it's anything yeah. I can have an ice cream, Something wrong with ice cream there's nothing wrong with ice cream but every time I feel sad I finish the tub of ice cream then chances are there's going to be side effects and it's going to be harmful long term
0: so I think if I'm understanding correctly your view is as long as it's working for you go for it as long as it's not like affecting your life and when you start seeing that it's affecting your life negatively explore
1: it yeah. or that's that's a more of a reactive way but yeah. a more proactive way is to mm-hmm. yeah like you said stop and pay attention like if i'm doing something am i happy with what i'm doing can i go without it great if i could I'd do it and if not then there's something to learn there.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't have to
1: wait for it to be.
0: You don't have to wait to, to hit be on the bottom. Bridge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they say uh, rock bottom is when I decide to stop digging. It doesn't have to be, I don't have to be in a psych ward.
0: Yeah, I think that's very important. Like, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't have a problem with it because I, had a, I haven't gotten a DUI, and my relationships aren't under fire, I haven't missed no. work. But you don't have to wait for it to escalate there. You can yeah. see where it's going. Yeah.
1: do you want to be a person who's dependent on something? Or independent, like what's independence these yeah. days anyway. But, um, yeah, do I want to be somebody who always needs to do these things or do I want to be somebody that doesn't? And if I could just do it on my own, great. If I need help, there's help. There's yeah. a ton, a ton of help out there.
0: So where would you direct someone who is interested in getting help?
1: Um... They could call you. <laughs> they could call me. Um, I think it's good to find a trusted friend to just kind of mull it over with. Google is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's, I'm a huge fan of the 12 steps, um, but I'm not. Uh, I'm not married to it. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are many other ways that that people are are just fine without it. Um, but it's, I would recommend people just learn about it um a great book that really helped me was a god of our understanding by chase, chase tab mm-hmm. I got, i brought i don't know if i somebody gave it to me or i just brought it with me when i went to the psych ward and i ended up having it in rehab and i literally highlighted mm-hmm. almost the entire book i'm like oh, this mm-hmm. is me this is me oh my like, gosh this is amazing and and in rehab also they gave us the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and highlighted tons of stuff there but there's a lot to learn there mm-hmm. about the disease of addiction, meaning the disease of this concept of a behavior or a substance that I, am, I feel powerless over, or there's an obsession that I have no control mm-hmm. over, and I end up doing things, and then once I do it, there's no saying of what I'm going to ever stop. So all that stuff and a lot of personal stories are in, in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um there's tons of stuff on Spotify, you can hear personal stories. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on YouTube. Yeah.
0: I think it starts with a willingness to accept that this might be a problem and then there's a lot of doors to go down. Yeah. There's a lot of help available. So that's why acceptance <laughs> is the f-
1: absolute first step.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I also just on a practical level, I know a lot of people struggle with navigating their sobriety in social situations Okay. what to disclose what to not disclose feeling comfortable feeling self-conscious about it I know this is something that people are just like what do I do I want to do this but it feels impossible so uh, if you have any tips about like navigating sobriety in social settings
1: yeah there's there's a couple of points that you mentioned here I want to try to remember all of them but um, one is What do I disclose, what do I not disclose? Another thing is, how do I do it, even if I don't need to disclose to anybody? And where are my priorities? So, I wanna just talk about the priorities thing for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It hits me every time I say this, because it's the last thing, conversation I ever had with somebody who's unfortunately passed away, and, in in life and all of its values uh, its value we have a structure and we have a priority structure and all these different valuable things we have in life and when it comes to sobriety it's been my experience that i have to put sobriety first and if that's my foundation i can build a skyscraper on top of it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but if my sobriety is shaky Everything on top of it could fall down, any day, as soon as the wind comes. So what's more important to me, to be at the social thing, which is risky, or my sobriety? And then furthermore, it what's more so important, boundaries. my self-image of how people think of me, or my sobriety? Mm-hmm. Is my relationships more important, or my sobriety? Right. So what's my foundation? And if my foundation is sobriety, I'm going to have a good life. And when I talk about sobriety, I'm not just talking about being alcohol-free. I'm talking about also doing the work of filling that void with mm. spiritual or... Yeah, your
0: things. meditation practice, your self-care, yeah, all of that falls yeah. into the category of your sobriety. Yeah, Of yeah. living a meaningful, engaged life where you're showing up for yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that would be like fundamentally. And then the other two things is like, do I disclose, do I not disclose? It's been my experience, and it's, this has happened already literally thousands and thousands of times, where I'm in a social setting, and um, I, w- I might want to drink, or somebody offers it to me, or it's even in a far-brain, and people, mm-hmm. or it's Sintas Tara, or it's like, and it's like, people are drinking, and I mm-hmm. saying, hey, come on, have a drink, come on, just one drink. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, more than 50% of the time, there's already somebody else that's there, and knows that I'm sober, and says, hey, dude, psst, back off. Just leave him alone. He doesn't need mm. your drinks. He's, he gets to the level that you need a drink without the drink. Mm. And
0: so in that way, disclosing is really powerful, because your friends can have your back.
1: Yeah, yeah. So for sure, disclosing, like if, if I were to give somebody a tool, you need to go, have one person, at least one person mm-hmm. with you, that you tell, you disclose it to, and they could say all the things that are very difficult for you to say. And they'll say it with pride and with power yeah. and trust. Yeah. <laughs> that, it's very helpful. Um, and So that's when it comes to social settings, but like just if I'm on my own and I just want to drink, the first thing I do is, um, I'll explain soon what's happening, but ultimately what I do at the moment is I do an act of service. What am I doing, why, why act of service? Well, this idea of, I need a drink, is in my head. It's That's where it exists. That's what it, it, in its entirety, exists in my head. In my head, I lose the battle. It's just the way it is. I need to step out of it. But especially when it comes to addiction. I need to mm-hmm. step out of it, I need to take an action. Act of service is one of the best things I can do to get out of my own head, as well as, it also quenches the thirst. That I'm trying to quench.
0: That's yeah. so powerful. So it's
1: literally going up to somebody and ask them how they're doing and just tell them ask them questions about them and really learn about them. And that's an amazing experience.
0: Getting out of getting out of your head and into your life. Yeah.
1: Be of service, clean the table, <laughs> bring somebody drinks. Do you need anything? Yeah.
0: Such a powerful way to shift that battle.
1: Yeah.
0: It's like Leveling up, you're not even there anymore.
1: Yeah, yeah. I actually I, I wrote one of the posts I put on Instagram is this concept of relocating the battle from inside my mind, out into the open. As long as it's in my mind, I'm gonna lose.
0: Yeah. We believe crazy things when we say it in our head. And the second you say it out loud, you can examine it, yeah. or the second it's not in your mind, Do you write it down even. Yeah. Like, I will not be able to socialize if I don't drink. In your mind, that feels like an axiom, it's like a universal truth, but when you write it down, you can say like, who says? Who right. says?
1: The power of questioning it, yeah, yeah, but I think before you even question it, just by writing it down, it all of a sudden has been separated from me as a being. To it being a (sighs) thought.
0: Yeah. can recognize it for what it is. It's a thought. It's a belief.
1: Yeah.
0: I feel like I could talk all day about this. This That's so fascinating. Um, First of all, I want to thank you so much for your vulnerability, your honesty, your wisdom. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I think the the biggest vulnerable moment was when I forgot what I was saying. And just like, and leave it. I'm telling you now, just leave it. You I love know, it.
0: You know. Breathing through <laughs> it. Thank you for tuning in. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, rate, and review. You can find me on Instagram at HelloDarknessTherapy. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you.